Hello everyone and welcome to our monthly Peace Alliance Department of Peace Building campaign call where we have a special longer call with a solid one hour of nonviolent communication training with Aya Caspi. Yay! Thank you Aya for, for bringing this to us, connecting across differences. Uh, we, we can probably all point to a number of examples of where we could use this in our lives. And uh, we're, we're very glad we had one of our, our newer volunteers uh, ask for something like this. And uh, we're very glad to have find, found Aya very quickly. <clears throat> so we've got, um, let's take, you know, about three minutes for just people to say hello, where they're from, anything they would like to say about their connection, how long they've known about the DOP campaign, but, you know, keep it to about, 10 to 20 seconds so we can hear from everybody. Uh, why don't we start with Vicki? You're unmuted. Um, I'm brand new to this. Someone sent me an email communication. I'm a resident of Warren, Michigan, and I lost her. <laughs> okay. All right. Welcome, Vicki. Uh, how about Laura? Hi, everybody. I'm Laura. I live in northwestern Pennsylvania uh, near Erie, and uh, I've been on the DOP committee for uh, almost two years now. And I was uh, um, from the COVID generation of uh, advocates, and I'm looking forward to uh, experiencing this with everyone. Thank you, Deanne. Oh, this is Beth Blix for St. Paul. Hi, Beth. Um, Hi, I, I tried calling you earlier. We have a special program tonight. We're going to have some nonviolent communication training. So we're not going to have as much time for check-ins. So thank you for saying hello. Beth is joining us on uh, her phone, and I will uh, rename her. Beth from Minnesota. She's been in, uh, involved with us for a couple of years now. So welcome, Beth. Uh, Dan, yeah. want to say hello? Sure. Um, well, update us about what's going on in D.C. if you can. Uh, yeah, Nancy might talk for just about a minute about that, but mainly we're doing the nonviolent communication training here. We're still around okay. the same number of co-sponsors, but we had some really good meetings and, and one potential new sign-on and others promising that might do it for now. Okay, Dan. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm Deanne Tate. I uh, serve as the managing director of the Peace Alliance and uh, very glad to see uh, lots of new faces and I'm looking forward to tonight's training. So thank you. Oh, good. Okay, Nancy. Um, my name is Nancy Merritt. I'm, um, I've been working on the Department of Peace Building campaign um, forever and uh, so glad to be with everybody. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, thanks. Marge. Marge Schwartz from New Jersey. I haven't been involved all that much, but I've done a few advocacy days and I'm not in video right now because I have people working on my house and they're in and out and it would be very distracting. So I'm just going to leave the video off until they're done. Okay, thank you, Marge. Caitlin. Hi, my name is Caitlin. <clears throat> I am in Northern California, rough and ready. 
and uh, this is my very first meeting, and I learned about it through a dear friend uh, named Robin. Great. Glad you made it to us. Charlie? Charlie, I live in Amherst, New York, and I'm looking forward to contributing to building. Uh, you heard of the Mideast peace process, a Mid-America peace process with the Department of Peace Building. Great, thank you. Pat, Colin. Hi, I'm from um, Detroit. Um, familiar with NVC, but not as it um, uh, relates or from people involved in the peace movement. So looking forward to that connection. Great, Crystal. Hello everyone, I'm Crystal Licato. This is my first meeting with the Peace Alliance, meeting each of you. And DJ introduced me to this movement and the building of the, the Department of Peace Building. And I'm thankful to be here. Great, welcome. DJ, why don't you go? And I'd say we've got about another minute to get about three or four people on. So let's be kind of brief, okay. I'm DJ. <laughs> from florida <laughs> okay sorcha or sorcha yeah sorcha um sorry my camera is very weird and not working but i live in dc and i heard about it through an organization i'm a part of women of color advancing peace and security beautiful thank you uh emane iman um, yes, it's Iman. Uh, sorry, my internet connection is not good enough for a video right now, but um, I'm new here. I'm actually uh, a huge fan of Aya's work, so uh, I'm here for that. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Rachel, you want to say hello? Just a brief where you're from. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm from Colorado. I'm also a big fan of Aya and her work. <laughs> okay. I think we're already a big fan and we've, we haven't actually in a training yet, but just the conversations we had have been marvelous. And with that, we will introduce my, I'm Karen Johnson and I'm from uh, Illinois. So it's good to hear some Midwesterners on the phone. We're not usually represented uh, as much, so it's great. Um, DJ, are you trying to get my attention for something? What yeah, is did, did Linda and Ina say something? Pardon? I, I didn't say anything. I'm Linda. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I and Ina, too. Ina. Okay. I live in Spaspool, north of San Francisco, and Aya was on a, another call with me, an NBC call last night, and so I heard about this and jumped to the opportunity to hear her and also learn about you. Beautiful. Thank you. Ina, say hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm a newbie, Ina Barone from Denver, Colorado. I'm sorry that I missed the calls today. I've been on some of the advocacy calls and have been very much enjoying it. Happy to be here. Great, great. Thanks. Um, so I'm just going to say hello to, to Lori Russo, who just called, uh, just joined us um, from Washington, D.C., and I believe Jana, or you guys are still together. So they, they were advocating on the hill. We're, we're starting a bit late, so I, I'm just gonna go in. So um, uh, let me introduce Aya and we'll get right into her presentation. As many of you know, if you read some of her bio, she's a certified trainer with the Center for Nonviolent Communication based in California. It's, it's a long certification process. So we appreciate all the work that she's put into to this uh, work. 
she's dedicated herself to applying radical, uncompromising nonviolence in every small detail of life, starting with the ongoing laboratory of her family, including her three children. Uh, Aya has spent the last 15 years bringing her unique blend of vision, practical clarity, and deep commitment to transformation uh, to settings as varied as schools, families, mediation, social change, communities, nonprofit organizations, and media. Uh, with a specific focus on kids and family programming, Aya has served as the educational consultant on several preschool series, creating original curriculum and consulting uh, on show development and scripting. Uh, she has been sharing the work of nonviolent communication internationally via online classes and in-person retreats. Uh, she continually grapples with the joys and challenges of being raised in Israel and finds deep open hope in applying NVC to the context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, currently, Aya resides in Northern California with her husband, three kids, two dogs, four cats, chickens, and turkeys. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It's a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds marvelous. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for the introduction and the warm welcoming. I'm really delighted to be here today on International Day of Peace. Uh, growing up in Israel, I think that's been like a deep longing in me for very, very early age. Um, to learn how to live in peace. And um, this journey eventually brought me to California and to NVC, where I found maybe for the first time a very practical path that really showed me what I can do and what I can say in the moment uh, to connect across differences. And... You can go to the first slide, Karen, which is basically a prayer from Psalms. It's, um, I wanted to read it just to orient towards um, our intention for today. I read it in Hebrew and in English. Who is the man who is eager for life, who desires years of good fortune? Guard your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. Um, I'm not, I haven't finished I'm sorry. it. <laughs> Can you go back? Thanks. Yeah. Shan evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. And I think the last line, seek peace and pursue it, has been like something that I really reflected on for a long time. Um, this idea that it's not enough to just want peace, that we, we are invited in this life experience on planet Earth to actually step into embodiment of peace and pursuing peace, which is a very active force. Um, and I will come back to it, talking about this practice of connecting across differences using nonviolent communication. Um, so to start off, I wanna say that I see three ways 
that we can experience differences. One is moral and political differences, where we are called to bridge opinions and worldviews. The second is power differences, where we are called to bridge differences in access to resources, internal and external, um, so that everyone's needs can be included. For example, if I'm to talk to the President of the United States, there are some maybe political differences, but there are also power differences. And so that means that if you're the person with more power or the person with less power, there are certain things, certain practices to use to compensate. Oops, what's happening? Yeah, I'd like everybody to mute themselves so we don't have to police that so much, but let's... I think if there's a question when we're into something, uh, Aya is open to that, but uh, for the most part, let's try to keep ourselves muted so we're not interrupting the presentation. And you will get a copy, everybody who registered will get a copy of this over email afterwards. Yes, and you can post your questions in the chat and we'll um, maybe take some poses to respond to them. Um, and the third level of differences is cultural differences, where different cultures, different traditions have different preferences in how to meet needs or what's important in life. Uh, growing up in Israel in the Middle East, when coming to California, I very quickly realized that in the Middle East, I think there is a culture that prioritizes um, authenticity over being polite, at least where I grew up. And so, you know, it's, it's very uh, acceptable to interrupt people while they talk. It's actually an expression of enthusiasm. <laughs> and, and here it's very like, I think people will do anything but to interrupt. So these kind of differences also um, needed to, to be bridged in some ways. To put the volume down there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, please mute, thank you. And we can go to the next slide. So where do differences come from? One of the core assumptions of nonviolent communication is that we all share the same humanity. We have the same feelings, the same needs. So why do we end up seeing things differently if we are we share the, the same humanity. And so there are a couple of few things. One is that we may have different observations. This is in NVC we call something that is as closest to fact as possible because I don't think we can totally have an objective uh, capacity to see things. We see things as we are, not as they are. Um, is what Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of Nonviolent Communication, was describing as a, a video camera taking, filming the moment. And because we are still affected by our perception, even when there is a specific something that happens in the moment, we're going to have a different access to the observation. I'll give you an example. Maybe some of you heard about the shooting of um, Shireen Abu Akala, she's a Palestinian American journalist who was shot um, during uh, 
some kind of an uh, Israeli operation in Jenin. And there was a, an argument about who killed her, uh, an Israeli bullet or a Palestinian bullet. So that is the kind of uh, difference in, in, on, on observations. And I think it was found later that is, it was, she was shot by an Israeli uh, person or soldier. Different interpretations of the same observations. So even when we have the same observations, we're gonna have different in way of interpreting them. It depends on many, many things. In this case, you know, some people were saying, well, yes, she was shot by an Israeli uh, soldier, but he didn't mean to kill her. She was just there when there was this operation. And other people said, no, there was an intention to kill her. And some people said it doesn't matter if there was intention or there wasn't intention. The very fact that Israeli soldiers are in the territories doing this operation um, is, is why she was killed. So you see there are many, many narratives around the same story. And then different people prioritize different needs. Um, we can see here, I think, with you know, the people who, with the pandemic, prioritize uh, freedom over people who prioritize security or safety or freedom of speech versus, um, yeah, safety. There are also different strategies to meet the same needs. You know, you can see that I think with the path of nonviolence and the path of violence, I would say that those two are strategies to meet the same need, which is safety. Some people would choose to build a wall to create safety. And some people would choose to uh, educate or, or move resources to other parts of the world so that there is safety in those parts and there is no Im immigration. So this is just a way to think about same needs, different strategies. And the last thing I, I, I named is different impacts from the same strategies. So depending on our social location, on where we are, you know, there is a raise in, in taxes, it's gonna impact different people differently. Let's go to the next one. This is a quote from Gandhi, differences of opinion should never mean hostility. So why, why is it so hard to connect across differences? Why does it go so quickly to hostility? to separation. Uh, Gandhi here says it doesn't have to be this way. Separation is not a result of having differences, but of a break in trust. So that's something to remember that just having differences doesn't mean that we have to experience separation. <clears throat> separation or polarization um, happens when we don't no longer trust the other person's intention. And a big reason of it is systemic, not very much individual. We all grow up in a culture that assumes this trust. It's part of, of the dominant story that we compete over scarce resources. For example, that's the whole assumption of capitalism, <clears throat> that a man to a man, a wolf, the Freudian theory that we are run unconsciously by our id and so we are uncontrollable and we need to be tamed 
as humans, otherwise it's gonna be chaos. That story affects the way we communicate. We all learn to communicate in a protective way, a way that hides our vulnerability because um, it, it doesn't feel safe in a world where um, we are in competition with others. I think we just jump to the next slide. <clears throat> Karen, would you go back? Thanks. So, no. Uh, next one, yes. Thank you. So as a result of this um, approach of this trust, we communicate in a protective way and some of these, uh, the way it manifests, this is something that in nonviolent communication we, are, we call the four Ds of this connection. I actually added another one at the end. The first one is diagnosis. All the ways that we tell people what they are or what they are not. And usually in, in the form of moralistic judgments, we imply wrongness on behalf of other people at the moment we don't agree with them. Or we analyze their motives. We criticize them or we compare. Um, we also deny responsibility. We say things like, I can't, or I had no choice, or there is no other choice. You know, if you talk to Israelis many times, that's, that's the main story, that there is no other choice. We have to protect ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to be thrown to the sea. Um, so, you know, we, no one wants to occupy any, anyone. We just need to protect ourselves. We use demands, words like we should, you should, you should not. We have to, you must, we need to, you ought to. We use deserve thinking, which is behind the idea of right, wrong. You know, the person who is wrong deserves to be punished. The person who is right or is good deserves to, to get a reward. So we all kind of learn to be motivated by the fear of punishment and seeking rewards. And the last one I call disowning our perception, which is, I think, a big one um, that creates a lot of disconnection in communication, where people present their, thinks, their thoughts as if they are the truth without saying, this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is what um, my assessment is. We'll see some examples later. Let's go to the next one. So how do we lose trust? When we communicate in these ways, um, it stimulates few things in us. One is something that I call the innocence fragility because we all grow up in domination structures and power over structures and judgmental uh, thinking. We are very, very, all of us, very, very sensitive to any way that other people imply that we've done something bad or wrong. It's like so, so um, delicate for us, sensitivity, that we tend to react immediately to that and become defensive. There are very few people that I know that without uh, major training can hear judgment or accusation and stay grounded 
and not defend themselves immediately or withdrawn or attack back. We also have this scarcity thinking, you know, it's either my needs or your needs. It's either I win or I lose us or them. And we engage in this fear-based motivation. We, we react from shame or from avoiding punishment or buying love. And that's where our brains snap into fight, flight, freeze, shut down. And it can happen over, you know, conversations with our loved ones in the family. When we talk about yes to vaccine, no to vaccine, <clears throat> it, it happens very, very quickly. And it feels very real in our brains, the alarm. We separate, we lose access to our natural human care and generosity, and we react. Let's go to the next one. So what is the answer to all of this? Gandhi says, it is not nonviolence if we merely love those that love us. It is nonviolence only when we love those that hate us. And that's a very, very intense thing to imagine. You know, there are different versions of it, like, um, Jesus said, love your enemy. One, one path of violence, of violence means that we protect, you know, we, we judge. The next thing is that we use physical violence. At the end of the spectrum, we are willing to kill the person who threatened us. Nonviolence says um, we are not going to inflict suffering on anyone if there's anyone, we're gonna absorb it and take it on. And I'm talking now on the connection, uh, the spectrum of dialogue, not in, in intense, you know, situations of physical violence, but only in in when we have actually a dialogue or conversation with someone. It actually invites us to reclaim trust. And one of the core ways that we reclaim trust with nonviolent communication is the assumption of innocence, which basically means that anything that anyone ever said or ever done is an attempt to meet one or more of the human needs, no different than our own. And that becomes the magic key or the exit from right wrong thinking into this needs consciousness where we can make sense of what people say or do always because there's always some underneath everything the strategies the disconnection the, there is a longing a human longing for something that we all share and this is um, uh, a quote from the core nonviolent commitments that written by Mickey Kashtan you can um, look it up later and she says even when others actions or words make no sense to me frighten me or have a harmful impact i aim to assume a need-based human intention behind them if i find myself attributing ulterior motives assigning labels or analyzing others actions I am to seek support to ground myself in the premise that regardless of how far from serving life someone's action appears to be, and even if I choose to use force for protection 
ultimately their action is an attempt to meet needs no different from my own. And that's radical. You know, I'm saying like, you know, think Adolf Hitler, think anyone. Um, it, it, it's all compassing. And I wanna, I think, take a breath or a break also before we continue to just come back and hear some responses and answer some questions because the next piece is an example. Uh, Karen, can you bring us back? Uh, you're muted. Yeah, we had a couple people join while we were in the presentation. Um, so welcome. And uh, um, somebody asked if this is available for replay. Yeah, we will post the audio on the Peace Alliance site. Um, there any Was there anything in the chat? Pardon? Were there any questions so far in the chat? Or uh, no real questions. Live? There's a comment. Okay. You want to read it? So um, it's something about uh, we are so sensitive. It's like being wrong is akin to dying. And so we defend anything rather than entertaining. There's another view and one or more that might, that might be more accurate or appropriate. And that's from Sharon. Right. Yes, I actually agree that it takes us to our survival mode when we experience being accused or blamed in some way or told that we are wrong. Um, our frontal lobe actually shut down many times. And, and that means it takes a lot of practice and training to stay grounded. Anything else? Otherwise, yeah. we can go to the example. That's it for now. Okay. So, Karen, would you take us back? This is, this is a correspondence that I had with my neighbor. He's no longer my neighbor, but he used to live um, in my street, who one day I read on Facebook that he wrote that the Holocaust has long been proven to be a hoax, um, which you can imagine as a Jewish person, that was very, very triggering for me to hear. And I was really learning nonviolent communication at that point and thought, well, that, that's my, my opportunity to engage in a different way. Because I really learned from Marshall Rosenberg, uh, who used to actually do this uh, on his international intensive training um, with Hitler, that we, don't, we are not gonna have the power to make an impact the way we can if we are just going to collapse or uh, disappear when people say to us these kind of things. Um, I didn't want to fear my neighbor. Um, I grew up with this kind of saying that love your neighbor as they self, that's the golden rule. And that's the way I translate it through the lenses of nonviolent communication is that we are interdependent. We all share the same human heart, the same human needs. And yeah, I will need to include my enemy if we are going to 
create a world that works for everyone. And so he said, you can see this in Germany and many states, it is not allowed to doubt the narrative, that narrative and you go to jail for a long time. Does the truth need legal protection or would a lie need legal protection? And it went on and on. I didn't include everything, um, pretty horrible stuff. So I wrote to him, Werner, from what you say, I'm getting that you would like what you believe is truth to be seen, acknowledged and respected, at least to be spoken about freely. I don't need to use my empathy skills to imagine the frustration, fury, rage. You might feel hearing about the Holocaust again and again as I'm experiencing similar intense reaction, myself feeling sick to my stomach, hearing from you, not for the first time here on Facebook, but the Holocaust has long been proven to be a hoax. I want the truth that I know to be seen, acknowledged and respected. I could present here all the living testimonials. I have some in my family, by the way, to prove you wrong. And I don't have a sense that this will bring us closer. I'm asking myself, what would it look like for us to relate to each other from conscious love and not from fear in this impossible situation? How can we bridge such a horrifying gap in reality in a way that would still honor each of us and leave us connected, not separated? Is there a way I can love my neighbor as myself when my neighbor is saying that such a horrifying truth that kills six millions of my people is a hoax? Continued in the next slide. I believe there is. When I'm truly willing to focus on my connection with you, my fellow human, there is. See, room is filled. Out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Will you meet me there? Since we are neighbors, are you willing with the support of our community to meet and listen to each other? You see, I'm tired of wars. I don't want to make you my enemy. I want to heal the pain, both yours and mine. I've learned that it's not going to work for me to exclude the pain of my enemies. It is just going to bring more and more pain, more and more holocausts. My hope for the world and for our human species lies in our willingness to include each other in our hearts, no matter what. We'd love to walk this path with you, my friend. I actually ended with my friend because I read a letter that Gandhi wrote to Hitler, actually, uh, which he called him my friend. You can look that up too. And the interesting thing that happened later, and, and I uh, kind of put that in, bold that is he replied to me and he said dear aya which you know it's already like a good start and then he says you know whatever his thoughts are the holocaust is something which separates and brings misgivings between jewish people and white people I and mean, this whole racist thing is is really difficult to hear and then he says as human beings we should connect in human way and that means at least we respect and better with friendship Therefore, I appreciate very much your answer and reaction. For me as a German, I, of course, defend my people, and I guess any decent person does defend his or her people naturally. And what my point here is to show that for me, when I saw this response, first I have, like, I didn't have fear anymore. I could see some evidence that there is a human being that is responding to me in some with some evidence of humanity. And that, that kind of brought me from my alarm zone 
And what followed next is, is a meeting that is a whole story. It didn't change his, his opinions, sadly. But what, what happened is that I, there was some sort of a human connection that was formed between us that actually led later for him to call us when my husband's ship ran away. And I could live with him nearby knowing that um, I'm not going to be, you know, afraid of him. Let's, let's go to the next one. And then um, I want to finish this and go to some practice. So some principles of what we do in this conversation, and this is, of course, is a very intense situation. Usually we, we have many opportunities to do this with less intense conversations. First one is committing to holding the whole. So we are not just holding ourselves. We are holding everyone because we recognize that our well-being and the well-being of others is one and the same. And if there's anyone that drove that point home, um, it's the pandemic. Assumption of innocence, which is that radical trust that everything human beings are doing or saying is an attempt to meet need. And then grounding in self-understanding, what's important to me that the other person can relate to something that is non-controversial. And then what is important to the other person Be behind their judgment, behind their position? What is something that I can relate to that is non-controversial? There's always something uh, that I can dig into. And then expressing authentically. So I want to always stay truthful, not please anyone, but stay out of judgment. And learn how to translate judgments and accusations and threats and demands into human longings. So I hear the please. Marshall Rosenberg said there's the only thing that human beings ever say is either a please or a thank you. And then the last thing is to imagine a solution that works for all, um, which may be different from each of our preferences. And that's something I think that human beings are really designed to do. Our brains are designed to find solutions that include everyone's needs. Uh, what's in the way is when we lose trust. When we lose trust, we lose access to creativity, we lose access to goodwill, and it's no longer available, available for us. So I want to go back and use the rest of our time to actually take some live example. Karen, would you bring us back? And see if we can practice this over an issue in your own um, community. Basically, some opinion that, you know, an issue that causes polarity. If, if someone has an example. Vaccines. The vaccines, of course. So are you willing to be in the hot seat and practice? I guess so. <laughs> You're on. So the first step is to express 
an opinion or a position on the topic. It doesn't have to be your true opinion, but that may be more alive. Well, I think and, vaccine should be a matter of choice. I think one's body is one's, uh, one's the limit of where the state should invade us. <laughs> Great, yes. So now I would like to see if there's anyone who is willing to offer like the way things usually go, where you try to convince the other person that they are wrong and that you're right. Anyone of the opposite position? What would you say? I think vaccines, yeah, I think vaccines serve the greater good. Right, and that's kind of mild, right? I mean, people would say like, what do you mean it's a matter of choice? You don't care about other people around you? You don't care about, you know, our parents, our, the elders, they're going to die because you want choice, right? So that's, that's kind of a more like a, a, the version of how it goes. And I want you to notice when you hear this, um, what, what's your name? Are you Lori or Jana? Uh, Jana, Hana. Hana, Jana. <laughs> Um, so, so how do you feel when you hear this reaction? Like basically, you know, someone responding with the opposite position, the opposite opinion. Well, it's not necessarily opposite. We don't agree on, the, on public health. You see, right. It's, it's just a different strategy. Well, it's a mistaken view necessarily about vaccines and their effectiveness and if they are really benefiting us or if they're causing a mass epidemic of death and disease. Right. Yes. And, and how do you feel when you hear this? What is like happening in your body and what's like your next reaction? Well, I think she's well-intentioned, so it doesn't, you know, I'm not... Okay. So it doesn't trigger you in any way. You're still very grounded and you see that she just... You know, you don't necessarily are disagreeing, but you have different approaches. Yeah, yeah, I think she's mistaken, perhaps, in this particular instance, but not mistaken in her altruistic intention. Okay, so you didn't trust, you didn't lose trust in, in her intention, but you are uh, thinking that it's, it's a mistake. Yeah, scientifically, it's a mistake. Medically, a mistake, yes. Public right. health-wise, it's a mistake, yes. Right. And, and so what will tend to happen next is just a process of polarization. You know, you, you might say to the other person, you know, it's actually a mistake and let me tell you why or something that try to convince them or you, you start defending, each person start to defend their own position. Is this, does this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I would like to try differently is to someone to actually tell you what they heard you saying offer you like an understanding of what, what are the things that are important for you around your position? You're talking to me? Yes, I, I'm inviting someone else to offer you now a reflection as opposed to a, rea a response. Just to tell you what they heard. Is there anyone who is- Yeah? 
Yeah, I can give it a try. So it sounds like having um, a choice over matters concerning your personal autonomy is important for you. And that it's also, you know, public health and making sure that you have all the right information regarding what goes in your body is also important to you. Um, and you can check with us, is that right? Did I get it? Yeah, yeah, is that right? Yeah, Would that you sounds say that right. true? Yeah. So thank you. And that's that's a very rare response, right? That people just start with understanding, trying to connect before any reaction. And do you notice is there any impact on your body or how does it feel to receive a response like this? It's always nice to be heard and acknowledged. Right. Um, I would say that, you know, it helps our brain stay present and, and keep engaging. And of course, it's very easy to do this in a, you know, a, a practice when, although even now there might be people who experience some reactivity, you know, just hearing that a person thinks this way or believes this way or not the other, even in a role play or a practice, it can happen. But in real time, when you're, we get really attached, right, to our opinions, um, it, it has an, in, the, the higher the stakes, the more like spiritual strength it, tank, it takes <clears throat> to choose to uh, understanding over convincing. And every time you choose to do that, it's the, like the first step towards transformation you're just stepping into a different world. Um, now I would like to ask you, um, Jana, if you are willing to reflect what you heard from Crystal. Crystal said that uh, vaccines are very important for public health and that, uh, that if someone doesn't want to be vaccinated, that they're actually not concerned for others' well-being. And it's a self-centered uh, view and that we need to be concerned for others and therefore we should all be vaccinated. Um, check with her if you got it. <clears throat> Did I get it right? Um, I don't process it that deeply in terms of, I just have a philosophy that the greater good has to weigh out. Mm -hmm. And so while I respect your opinion, I think that when we have to make decisions of such magnitude that impact, impacts our elderly and our children, that I look at it more as a greater good decision. Yeah, what I'm hearing though is that there's an assumption that vaccines are the greater good. Wait, wait, wait. So now you reacted. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, now you've shifted, you've shifted from understanding to kind of proving a point or, you know, thought, proving her wrong. Um, well, what I hear her saying is that it's the vaccines that are the greater good. There's an assumption there on her part. Is that not correct? Is so, that something she said without actually saying the words? So what you would, what you want to do when you connect is first... Just reflect. Mm -hmm. first 
create a situation where the person is feeling understood. Because when you tell me that I'm hearing an assumption, you know, everyone who hear, uh, when we tell people I'm hearing an assumption, the way it translates is that you're telling me that I'm doing something bad and that's my point of view is not valid because it's based on an assumption that is not true necessarily. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so, so uh, I'm, right now we're just here for learning. So we are not here to solve the whole thing. But the point <laughs> I'm saying is like, you can see how quickly our minds kind of snap into protective uh, way of being. And it's um, the assumption of innocence is really, it's not just the reflection. It's letting the other person know that I can really make sense of their point of view. I can see that it makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. And I, in a way I can see why also, so that mm-hmm. they completely relax. Mm-hmm. And it can sound something like, um, Crystal, what I'm hearing is that um, for you, caring for the whole is, is a value, is a very important value. And even if it requires you to stretch or to do something that is not necessarily, you know, what you would choose to do, uh, given all options, you prioritize care for the whole. And you believe that uh, the vaccines save life. And that's most important for you. And you want to participate in caring for life. And that's what you choose to do. Thank yes? you. I feel fully heard. And the and, and, and when you do that, you start building goodwill and trust and connection that then you capitalize on when you share your own truth. Um, and I could do the same thing, you know, with Jana, with that assumption of innocence. I would say something like, Jana, what I'm hearing is that, you know, one of the basic freedoms that you hold for human beings is the freedom to make choices over our own bodies. And for you, it's kind of a fundamental, almost like the level of, of human right, maybe, um, that we hold uh, that freedom of choice. And maybe you feel horrified and, and really scared when that freedom is being threatened. Is that right? It's just one part. Yeah. So it's one part. I, I didn't get, it, get into the whole of it. And, and we are, uh, we need to close very soon. So I want to just. And I'm also here. very altruistic yeah. and believe that we really need to be concerned for the safety of humanity and for the well being of others. And we need to base it on, on facts and science and yes. medicine. Yeah. So you really want to be seen that just as much as you hold care for choice, you also hold care for the, the greater good and for the well-being of, of the whole. And you may have different assessment what the greater good is than Crystal or, or someone else, but you're still advocating for the same thing. Mm. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So this is how we weave togetherness. Can you feel that in the field? There is a weaving. Um, and what it requires is some distance, you know, some non-attachment from my own opinions. 
so that can, I can hold them with passion. But it's more important for me to our connection than, you know, the, the outcome or the end result. And I believe that when, when we prioritize the connection, we actually gain more power to make an impact. And I've attached at the end of the presentation some very inspirational examples from movies and videos um, that demonstrate that because it's been done. It's, it's been done. I mean, Gandhi, you know, the British left India without one blood, <laughs> drop of blood being shed uh, just with, with this kind of nonviolent um, approach. So it's, it's not so much about being nice and about being, although of course that's part of it. Uh, it's a lot about empowerment, empowerment in having these conversations and reaching the other person and forming a connection that their heart open to you. And then you can, you can do something when the hearts are open. Okay, I would love to hear, we have five minutes. Um, oh, actually, no, we go. Oh, yeah, we have a little bit more time. Karen, you're, you're, I, I was like seeing like six. I'm always, I'm always afraid my dog is going to bark in the middle of an important sentence. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, we've got about 15 more minutes. So let's hear from Sharon. Hi, thank you. Well, I really, really appreciate this presentation very much. It couldn't be a more appropriate day to have this presentation. And I want to really appreciate nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg's work, and all of you who are, are promote, really, you know, really getting it out there. I uh, had an occasion about 10, 11 years ago to work with a woman named Rita Marie Johnson, and she had developed a program called the Connection Practice which uses the basics of nonviolent communication and also the basic techniques from heart math to quick coherence, heart brain insight, um, which really supports. Oops. Um, curious. Can you hear me? Uh, you disappeared for a moment. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Unstable connection here. Yeah. yeah. So just just to you know say that um, I really appreciate the uh, NVC work, and I also appreciate that using some of the heart math work can actually help get into the more authentic desired state uh, when using nonviolent communication. Thank you. Yeah, I know there are many modalities that. Um, support the same intention. <clears throat> Any other responses? What What did you witness here? What are you learning from it? Yes, Nancy. Nancy, you you're, you're muted. I, I appreciated the example of the vaccine, um, whatever, just divide of opinions. Um, so I have, a, I have a large family and uh, 
pretty much every single uh, opinion was was being processed during that whole thing. And um, I, I've got to say, it took us a while to get through the reaction part, but we did finally come to an understanding and a listening and a reflection that we all could have uh, actually have valid viewpoints, even though they weren't necessarily the same. So yeah. I appreciate I appreciate this the conversation that yeah. happened. I have full faith that if there was some sort of a process um, where all the scientists and all the medical people and all the people impacted would gather together for a shared decision-making process, gathering all the needs um, that we could find a way to attend to all the needs in, in a way that works for everyone, Sadly, that's not at all part of how we make decisions. Um, um, and it's, it's costly. It's very, very costly. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people weren't, felt like they weren't being heard at different points in the whole yeah. process, and, uh, which is true, which is and true. And then you have that pendulum where the people in power decide how things are, and then there is a reactivity that is built up you know, and all these people that are not being heard. And as soon as they have a chance, they just, you know, um, take on the power and do the same. And it's like an, a, a vicious cycle that never ends. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the assumption of nonviolent communication is that everyone's needs matter. That's kind of the basic assumption. All needs are part of life. All life matter. It's, um, you know, the, the, the path to world peace or repairing the world is, you know, when, when we find a way to care for the whole. Um, and caring for the whole means caring for everyone. That's just, if we want to have peace, that's the only path, the sustainable path. Anything else is just, you know, a win-lose situation, which is a lose-lose situation. Uh, Sharon, you have your hand up, but I don't know if it's from a new or from before. Yeah, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's a new hand raise. Mm -hmm. Just you know, it just what your examples really highlight how important it is to develop listening skills and and the appreciation of how important it is to listen because I think that's what's going on here. So much of what I think I see going on, you know, in this country here. There is people who are not heard, they do not feel respected, they do not feel like they matter, and we have to learn how to address those things. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with a young man with a, wearing a MAGA hat, and he hugged me because I listened to mm. him, you know, and it's, it was nothing mm. to do. To, it was so easy to do to say, hi, what's up with you, mm -hmm. you know? What's, yeah. what's your feelings about things? Yes, and what I want to say is that the people who have the capacity and the awareness have the responsibility to do it. We just cannot wait until, you know, everyone learns NVC. And it's just when this call is going to end, each and every one of us is going to have the next opportunity to implement this um, and in, in one situation or another. And then, then it's the test.
you know, are we going to do it? I have a question. Yeah. Um, so I have a, I studied conflict resolution and in terms of just like civil wars and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I've found that for most practitioners in the peace building field, the hardest thing is always just to get people to the table um, and then to get them to enter a mindset where their minds can be open, mm -hmm. um, you know, because you can't really tell them what to do or instruct them how they should be thinking because they're not open to it. And then if you can't even get them in the room, you know, that's, that's a whole right. other thing. So do you right. have any suggestions on how you might, I don't know if convince is the right word because you don't want to be convincing people of anything. Bring people like, to the room. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that kind of goes beyond uh, the spectrum of nonviolent communication because it, it's kind of the more like nonviolent resistant. Um, so what, what I do, you know, when I, when I have like mediations, um, and people don't want to show up. So one approach is to create some kind of, um, some kind of pressure on people because not everyone in this world, sadly agrees that everyone's needs matter. Some people think that their needs matter more than other people's needs. And you would have to uh, use some pressure to um, bring them to the room. And there are all kinds of techniques like, you know, boycott and uh, uh, different things. Um, I also, when, when I do mediations, sometimes I talk to people one-on-one. -on -one, and when I talk to people one-on-one -on -one and I listen to them in the way that, you know, they really feel heard and understood, that builds trust. And when they experience that, they, their willingness may be increased or shifted. So willingness is something that you can influence with your choice of words and actions. Does this make sense so far? Yeah, it does. That does make sense. So either meet with them one-on-one -on -one, or if, you know, with the British and India, you know, there, there was supposed... There were, they had to use some nonviolent campaigns to create a situation where the other party um, has a lot to lose if they don't come. Because one of the, the, the basic truths is that no one can use their power over us if we don't participate in that. No, no matter what government or what group, you know, the, the masses have more power if everyone, I think there was a research that showed that if you have 3.5% of the population of any population um, take on a nonviolent action, it can flip things. You don't even have to have everyone. No, that's interesting. I'll have to look at yeah. That. Yes. Like, think about it. If 3.5% of the population of the United States decide not to use electricity, you know, that's, that's a lot of power to influence, for example, PG&E, if they increase their rates. Um, all right. Is, are there any? There's yeah? a comment in the chat. Um, Erica doesn't have enough Wi-Fi to, to speak out, so she wrote it in the chat. 
Um, she thought it was interesting um, how you pointed out that two people sharing the same, their positions about vaccine, both have the greater good in mind and heart, irregardless of the strategies to get there, uh, that yeah. there's common ground. Um, because I have seen people from both anti-vax and pro-vax share resources and science publications and data, and then call the other side, uh, sides resources and science uh, misinformation, failing to see the common care underneath. Uh, that was right. very much an aha moment for me. Yes. So you have more chances uh, to connect if you stick to that assumption of innocence. When you um, start using, you know, judgments um, and imply wrongness, like tell people that they, what they use is fake news. They're, they're just, we're just contributing to polarization with that. It's just so easy to lose trust. It, it happens immediately because we already come with this trust. We don't need much. So it's actually, uh, we need to compensate for all the, you know, the presupposed distrust with that kind of, um, there is a, a beautiful quote from Geta. He said, if you treat a man as he is, he becomes worse. If you treat a man as he can and ought to be, he becomes what he can and ought to be. And I think that's really the practice of nonviolence. It's like, you know, even if we don't see any evidence for the humanity, uh, we assume it's there and we use language that uh, reflects trust. And then it becomes a irresistible invitation for the other person. So, so it's really the work of transformation. And I also want to say it doesn't always um, you know, work. Sometimes we, need, we will need to resort to escalate our nonviolent means and go to resistance. And um, just, just to, to say that there is no guarantee that like with this person, my neighbor, he didn't change his mind. And, but, but in the resources, there is a, an example from a, a person called um, Meryl Davis, who actually through is a black person who connected with many leaders of the KKK and they left the movement as a result of the relationship with him, which is incredible. I think he has like more than 10 KKK leaders who left the movement. All right. Um, I think we are at the end of our time. Yes, Karen, you wanted to leave five minutes? Yeah, just uh, let me see if that's going is the name uh, is in the you, you will see in the presentation that we will send uh, at the end there are resources and the name of the person oh, let me look for it Daryl Davis Daryl Davis yeah that's the name Okay. All right.
Thank you, Aya, so much, so much. This was so valuable. And I, I, I'm going to be reviewing the PowerPoint myself a couple of times. It's very um, rich content and good reminders and so forth. I, I just love what you put together for us. I did drop Aya's uh, it, uh, contact information into the chat room. Uh, if people don't know how to save the chat, if you go down at the bottom, it's got a three dots and you click on that. Uh, and it has an option for you to save the chat and then it'll save that to your computer. Uh, and uh, we'll also include her information in an email going out to everybody who registered uh, along with the link uh, on the Peace Alliance website for the audio if you want to review that as well. And uh, we have a, a song to share, or at least we're going to share a few minutes of it. Uh, does anybody have any burning thoughts for just a couple seconds? Want to share anything? Uh, not necessarily a question, but just how they're feeling, what they're thinking. Your hand. I'll share something. I'm I'm a, I'm a teacher, and I use this in, with the students, and they would actually bring up things that were problems to solve within the class, and so I think it's it has to start with the way that. The parents work with the children and the teachers work with the children because otherwise if you bring it sometimes older people can learn it too but it's a lot easier if it starts when the when children are younger and they can understand it because children really have a fairness button in them it's just like ding 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 <laughs> they know it's fair thank you yeah yeah and they they still trust they they haven't yet disconnected from trust the way adults brains are they, they really want to play well with others. <laughs> so they're open to the solutions. Yeah, very true. Very true. I've heard that, that young people embrace some of these trainings and embody them so much more quickly than adults. Um, it, they just get it and they practice it right away. That's why peace building education, which is part of the bill that we're advocating for, the Department of Peace Building bill, uh, is, is so important for our young people. All right, let me get to this song and we'll close out with that well about three minutes so enjoy it and i'm going to check make sure people I take a deep dark breath of my fear breathe out compassion to myself i take a deep dark breath of your fear breathe out compassion to you and the next breath is for all the people who can relate to me and you. You cannot see eye to eye, won't you step up with me and try? Drop the fences down, find the common ground, take a deep breath.
about two more minutes I dropped the location of that song in the chat <sighs> thank you everyone beautiful work may we bring it out into the world amen thank you Karen would you like to uh, stay for a debrief yes just a moment here yeah bye everyone All right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>